This morning, I, I had already planned on <clears throat> preaching from Ruth 4. Uh, I've been, this is the fourth week of a, a four-week series in, in the book of Ruth, and because of what's happening this morning, I thought it would be an appropriate place to land as we come together in this place. And uh, Ruth 4 ends with the birth of a child. And uh, I didn't obviously know that this would also be part of this morning, but I believe that God knows and His sovereign word will speak to us this morning uh, to the many things that are going on in this room right now. So if you would, turn to Ruth 4. I'll start at verse 5. Ruth is a very simple story. There's four chapters in it in your Bible. <clears throat> you could sit down and read the whole thing front to back in, in very little time, and I encourage you to do so. Um, what's happened, if you don't know up to this point in the story, is that a woman, uh, Naomi, has lost her husband, and her she is traveling at this point, living with her daughter-in-law, who her husband, Naomi's son, has also died. These are women who have been left exposed and and vulnerable, and have come from Moab, where they had been living, where Ruth is from, back to Bethlehem, where Naomi is from. Ruth is, is a foreigner. Naomi is an Israelite. And Naomi is uh, in a, a vulnerable place that she cannot offer security to her daughter-in-law, and, and they're not sure what the status of their life will be, and in comes this providential intervention where Ruth just happens to meet Boaz. I say that in, in quotes because the story is sort of winking at you that of course it's not just a coincidence that Ruth meets Boaz who is able to fulfill this vocation as a, as a kinsman redeemer. He's somebody who is near in relationship to Naomi and can do this thing. He can redeem Naomi and Ruth's story because as a legal transaction, he can step in and help property transfer as inheritance where otherwise it couldn't because property can't transfer to women as inheritance. So Boaz can do this thing and, and help shelter and care for these women. And at this point in the story, Boaz has already agreed to Ruth that he will try to do this, but he's told her in chapter 3 there's actually somebody who's first in line. He's not the nearest redeemer. And so this is how then the story resolved. Boaz goes and talks to this unnamed redeemer, proposes to him the scenario. And in verse 5, <clears throat> They resolve the discussion. Boaz said, The day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon, 
Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malone, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than even seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then the book closes with a short genealogy tracing that line. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, we thank you for your word and the fact that you are a God who speaks to us. We thank you that you still speak to your people. We pray that your word might penetrate our hearts, that we might see you for who you are. We pray that we would be formed into the image and likeness of your son to the praise of your name. Amen. So here is the end of the story, this, this movement of, of providence of the unseen surprising hand of God sort of laid bare now at the, the fulfillment of the story. Naomi <clears throat> starts the book of Ruth and Naomi ends the book of Ruth. And in many ways, this book is not about Ruth. It is actually about Naomi. The book is in some sense misnamed. And the, the, the bookmarks at the end and beginning of the book are, are kind of cluing you into that, that this story is as much about Naomi as it is about Ruth. And of course, Ruth is central to the story. But what God is doing in this story is, is really about Naomi. And you hear it in the way that the people talk about Naomi at the end. Boaz goes to this other redeemer, this unnamed redeemer, tells him the deal, and he is immediately interested because it's acquiring more property. And he says, this is great. I would really like that. And Boaz said, but here's the other thing. If you want the land, you got to marry this woman, this foreigner. And at that point, the man says, you know what? Maybe I've got enough land. He, because not that he's necessarily opposed to Ruth or the idea of being married. In all likelihood, this man is already married and already has children who have an inheritance, if he marries another person who, that happens at this point in Israel's history, if he marries another person, he knows that those children will interrupt the line of succession and inheritance for the children that already exist. He basically doesn't want to marry into a headache. So he says, you know what? You're, you got this. Go for it, Boaz. And they do this thing where they exchange shoes, which I think is a great way to seal legal transactions. I think we should bring that back. 
Um, if everybody was walking around with one shoe on a different foot, I mean, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Boaz completes this transaction in front of the elders. The people witness to it. They say, this is good. And then they, they bless Boaz and Ruth, pulling back in Israel's story. In multiple occasions of Israel's story, there have been unseen, unforeseen ways that God has intervened and continued and expanded the family of Israel. <clears throat> They talk about Rachel and Leah, and there's even two more women involved in that story to, to bear for the, the 12 tribes, the 12 heads of, of Israel. He, he reaches, they reach back to the, the story of, of one of Jacob's sons after that, Judah and Tamar, and how God intervenes through sovereignly putting other people together in ways they didn't even want to be put together necessarily, and God continues a line that way. They're, they're reaching back and basically saying, God is this way. God has been this way to Israel in the past, and because he is like this in the past, may he do his thing. May he be who he is. May he be himself towards you, and may your family be expanded and continued in a way that was unforeseen and unplanned and uncontrollable, <clears throat> because this is really the, the crux of the difficulty in the book of, of Ruth. They are they're stuck, it seems. They don't know what God is doing in the world. And at times, they're, they're not even sure that they rightly understand what he's like. In the beginning, Naomi names God as the one who hates her, which is, which is not, not correct. But that's how she's perceiving it in the moment in the midst of her suffering and her grief. And so the, the kind of hidden hand of God is at work in all the story of Ruth, and, and the author of Ruth is not going to spell that out for you and lay it out for you in all of its detail, but in this moment, the, the people, the gathered witnesses of Israel are saying, may this surprising, conspiring, invisible hand of God come to bear on this situation and do something that is unexpectedly good. And then, of course, it seems at that point that, of course, this is what happens. This is the natural conclusion. Ruth and Boaz get married. They have kids. They live happily ever after. A lot of people love the book of Ruth because it just seems like a very nice, almost fairy tale. But it, the book does more work for you if you will remove your fairy tale lens from it all and see the whole story. This, this story begins in absolute grief and desperation. People who have lost their husbands and sons and are alone in the world. Naomi is in a foreign land, exposed with no way to earn a living for yourself. And Ruth then goes and follows Naomi to a place where then she plays the foreigner. She is the foreigner. She is from Moab. She has no right, no claim in the land. And in the midst of this grief, this forsakenness, God does something unexpectedly good and gracious. And the reason they tell you this genealogy at the end is not so that you get a nice little bow. It's like, oh, how cute. Like, this is nice, they're in a house together in this wonderful 
That's how we often want to read it in modern eyes. But they're pointing to you to who comes in that genealogy. That from this line, this story, comes Obed, comes Jesse, comes David. When you're reading the Old Testament, there's the big three people you got to know. Abraham, Moses, and David. They're the big ones. And one of the big ones comes out of this story. That not only, not only is David the greatest the archetypical king in, in Israel's history, not only is David born out of this kind of story, this grief, this unexpected suffering that is somehow turned around and redeemed, but it is a foreign woman who is brought into the promise of David's line. This foreign Moabite woman who otherwise was far away from the plan and purposes of God has somehow been woven into the very heart of Israel's story. To the extent when you get to the Gospels, the Gospels will be sure that you know that Ruth is in this line. It's only men's name in those genealogies except for two places, and this is one of the two places. The Scriptures do not want you to forget who Ruth is, where she's come from, what her story is, and how she gets brought straight into the center of Israel's story. Because this is the way that God is. The same thing that the Israelites who are gathered there might be able to say to Boaz and Ruth is the same thing we are meant to say now. God has been this way in the past. May he always now then be this way to you. The God who was in an unforeseen and unexpected way at work in the midst of forsakenness and good times and bad times, may he come in and redeem even what to you seems irredeemable because this is, this is the nature of redemption. Redemption is often just locked in our sort of Christian word cabinet. We just, we, we just keep it over there. And so that when you read the book of Ruth, it, it's weird to see this word redeemer, and then they're switching shoes, and it's just strange. But redemption meant something more than just the thing that it means in the Christian word cabinet. It was this particular kind of transaction that something that had been lost, had deprived of all value, somebody comes in and restores value to it and therefore redeems it. You are theoretically reminded of this every time you look at a coupon. If you look at them or if you throw them away like me, even though I probably shouldn't, and the very bottom line in the very fine print that's almost impossible to read, it tells you when it's redeemable. Redeemable at this place, at this time, for this long, to this value. Until you redeem it, what is a coupon? It's a piece of garbage is what it is. It's been shoved in your mailbox. But when you take it to the store and you cut it out and you redeem it, it, it has value. And this is what has happened in Ruth's story. That there is, in some way, she has lost all value. She has lost all actual property value in the land of Israel. And Boaz comes in and redeems it so that suddenly there is value there again. And this is the way that God is. You and I are in the middle of life, 
We do not always understand how or where God is working. Today, today is a day to consider where is God and how is he working. On a morning that started for me watching two parents take pictures with their dead children. This is what is in the middle of our lives today. And what the scriptures are teaching us and telling us in this story and all of scripture is that the God of Israel can be in that room and can still from there bring something good. Nothing will make that good. Nothing will make these dead children good. And anything else that you are thinking of, I don't know what the apparently irredeemable thing is in your life, whether it is death or sickness or disease or broken relationship or loss of financial security. I don't know what it is for you. But you can be right on the brink of something truly evil and dark and desperate and say there is no way anything can come out of this void of blackness and evil and waste. And what Ruth's story will tell us unflinchingly is that even from the deepest, darkest pits of grief, God is yet still at work. And that Death and darkness and sin itself will not have the final word. God will not allow it. We together are being two people twist tied together. We, We are being knit together. Ourselves looking at Lost dreams, unfulfilled dreams, things that have passed away. And each of us have been at times both recent and in our past saying, what good can come from this now? And yet we are the people who are firmly in the line of Naomi and Ruth. I am one of Naomi's sons. Naomi is the one who at the end, the people of Israel said, God here has restored life where there was yet no life. God has restored to Naomi what was gone, we thought, forever. Because ultimately, what Boaz does in and of himself is just a dim and pale reflection of what the real and true Redeemer will do when he enters the story. To seal the transaction of redemption. In Boaz's day, it merely required the exchange of his shoe. But when the Redeemer of Israel, when my rock and my Redeemer comes into the story, he does not lend his shoe for the transaction, but he instead gives his own life. When Boaz comes, he absorbs all the debts and obligations of the people of Naomi When Jesus comes in from this very same Bethlehem town, from this very same family line, he will not just absorb the financial obligations of a few people, 
but he will take upon himself the vast, infinite, eternal debt of his people in the, in the name and face of sin before a holy God. And he will not offer him himself in his shoes as security, but he will instead stretch out the cloak of his own righteousness and cover his people with the wings of his covenant love. Just as it says in, in Ruth 3 that Boaz stretched out his garment to encircle his new-to-be bride. This is the way that God is. This is not the way that God was. We are not coming to this point in the story and hearing, oh, this is how he was to Jacob and to Jacob's family and then to Ruth, and then it stopped. We are meant to read the book of Ruth and hear what the author is saying to us, that God is still this way in Israel, that God is still this way for his covenant people. God is still this way for us, that he is this covenant-keeping, redeeming God for this people in this church, in this valley. He is still this way, and He will prove Himself to be this way now and forever and ever and ever. The book of Ruth beckons us to come and see Jesus. Because in Jesus, we can be in those rooms of death and darkness and have our hearts shredded by grief and still say, yet my Redeemer lives. Yet He will stand on the earth. I don't know what God is doing. I don't know why He's doing it this way. I wish He would not. But He is yet alive in the world and doing what He does. He is still Ruth's God. He is Naomi's God. He is Israel's God. He is my God. And this is how He is and however He will be. People of God, you are invited then to hear the word of the Lord. To hear the good news. The good news that is Jesus. Jesus is our great hope. Who is unshakable and unshaken. If you are here this morning and you are looking at rubble in your life. And your heart has been shredded. And you are bound by grief. You need to hear the word of the Lord this morning and hear that he will not forsake you, has not forsaken you, will never forsake you, and he is yet alive and working in you and in your story. And if you are here this morning and you have been wandering your own way, trying as best you can to act as your own redeemer, you are like the exposed ones like Ruth and Naomi who must wait for outside help. You will not redeem your life, but your life is redeemable by Christ. So this morning, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, but instead turn to Him and let Him cover you with His wings. People of God, God has presented Himself as faithful and true. He has been this way. And for us now together, in this place, we believe He will forever be this way. And our hope is that from this place, from this building and from this community, 
this Swananoa Valley will receive the good word that the God who has always been this way is yet still on the move in the Swananoa Valley. That he is yet still covering and redeeming a people and bringing them in under the shadow and shelter of himself. And in this, we have great joy. We have a life together and we have mission together in this place. Surely God will do what he has always done. Surely he will accomplish it. Let me pray for us. Covenant-keeping God, we are so grateful for your faithfulness. We are not a faithful people. By habit and inclination, we often wander away from you willfully or out of neglect. And yet your redemption is secured by your own act and your own faithfulness. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would this morning hear your word and respond to it. I pray that those of us who, who have wandered away would this morning turn and, and return. That we would repent and come and be made whole. And Father, I pray for those who have had their hearts pulled apart by living in a world that is broken and fraught with evil, who are carrying delicate wounds. I pray, God, that you will breathe life into their hearts and they might be able to believe and trust you. That when they hear your question in John 11, do you believe it? They would be able to say, yes, Lord. You are the Son of God the Lord in Christ. Father, would you restore hope for those people who have given it up or on the brink of giving up hope? Lord Jesus, there is no one like you. You are singular and singularly beautiful and wonderful. May our hearts be drawn to you in affection and passion. May our lives be submitted to your will. The purpose of lifting you up, glorifying you, and for the healing of the nations. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to just explain.